Did I scare you? Just kidding. Here's a spine-tingling treat for you this October, just in time for the spookiest holiday of the year. ISSA has conjured up an exclusive promotion and has a sweet Halloween surprise for you. Simply use the code SPEC50, that's S-P-E-C-5-0, at checkout when enrolling in any specialization course, and you'll enjoy a delightful discount. But don't wait, this offer is only valid until October 31st. That's S-P-E-C-50, SPEC50. Thanks for your fantastic support, and now let's move on to today's episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's your co-host, Jenny Liebel, here with my co-host, John Bauer. How are you today, John? I am really good. I'm always excited for these. It's always exciting to talk with other trainers and just kind of talk shop. So me and you get to talk, and hopefully all you listeners out there kind of feel like you're just kind of talking with a couple of trainers and hearing a, a conversation about important information. Absolutely. So we have done a really good like run on some episodes lately, you and I, um, with like just talking about some of the science. You always talk about it. You know, the science for health and nutrition is is relatively new and it's slow developing, but it is developing and it's constantly evolving. Um, I always talk about my love of journals because I'm a nerd like that. Um, so this is one of our episodes where we are going to share some awesome new information, some research that's been released, talk about it, but more importantly, guys, talk about what it means for you as a fitness professional, what you can do with this information. Cause that's going to be the most impactful part, right? It's one thing to read a study and it's another thing to actually implement what it's talking about or see it and experience it. So John, are you ready for some lightning fitness facts today? Let's do it. I was hundred percent last time. Let's see how I do today. Let's let's hopefully some of these, John, you're going to be like, this is a no brainer, but let's talk them out. I have three good ones that I found in since we did this last. Okay. Here's the first one. So non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are also called NSAIDs are commonly used to reduce pain and inflammation. Ibuprofen is a common supplement that people take, um, or uh, NSAID that people take for aches and pains, right? Associated with physical activity. So a hurt ankle, my knee hurts, my back hurts, whatever they take, things like ibuprofen. What impact do you think that taking NSAIDs has on muscle gain according to the literature? Wow, you have been digging into the journals. I have. Um, (laughs) So we're digging deep with this one. Uh, Well, I know exercise in and of itself causes some inflammation and uh, inflammation, although it's it's usually used in a negative connotation, it, it's not necessarily inherently negative. Sometimes inflammation should be there, especially post-workout. Uh, and some of that inflammation is what kind of leads to some of the quote-unquote gains that we get. So uh, you know, I'm going to take a guess and say that these NSAIDs might actually have a negative effect on muscle gain because they lowered the inflammation so much. Ah, good guess. But they've actually found that it's generally, it's actually kind of unclear. They aren't sure because meaning there's some studies that say it does something and some studies say it doesn't impact muscle gain. Um, But generally they found that there's no influence when you take something like ibuprofen. 
Um, so one meta-analysis done by Jozo Gerzik of the Institute of Health and Sport in Melbourne, Australia, looked at several studies done on participants taking anywhere from 400 milligrams to 4,000 milligrams, which is a lot, of ibuprofen to see what impact it had on muscle hypertrophy. So this was during training protocols. They were taking these different doses. Lots of different studies were looked at, which was cool. They found that most studies saw no difference in muscle size growth when people were supplementing ibuprofen. But one study out of all the ones they looked at, one study showed enhanced muscle growth in older adults taking 1,200 milligrams of ibuprofen a day. And it's speculated that this result is based on the fact that older adults generally have higher inflammation levels, to your point, that it's natural, right? Have higher inflammation levels and that ibuprofen reduces these levels, which may contribute to muscle growth in older adults. So they're talking about people who have excessive inflammation, like that natural inflammation, right? Whether it's stress or physical related, but that can impair muscle growth and taking ibuprofen reduces that. Therefore you can gain more muscle. So it was only one study that found that, but it is important to note that this research, like more research is needed on this topic because the positive results from that one study though, they noted have never been replicated. What do you think of that? You know, I think that is really interesting, and it, it kind of leads us to uh, something that's very common in, in our field, the, the answer to the question of what impact do we think taking NSAIDs has on muscle gain is it depends. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like context matters, just like everything else in our field. Absolutely. And I was like, I, when I read this, I immediately thought of like us who, those of us who work with general population or even athletes, like a lot of people take NSAIDs or things like ibuprofen and stuff like that to oh, my, my elbow hurts. I'm just going to take something to mask it, right? One of the things that we always coach people to do is not mask stuff like that, right? Maybe you should pay attention to it because generally speaking, pain is your body telling you something. So if it's chronic pain, right, it's constantly happening. Maybe you should go get it checked out, figure out what's causing it. And then maybe we can address it, right? And keep in mind, guys, we're not here to diagnose anything, whether it's an orthopedic condition, a disease. So if you aren't sure, they need to go see a specialist and let the specialist tell them what they think it might be and a method of treatment. And then we can work along with them for that. But the thing is, it's a lot more common than you think people taking NSAIDs. Um, so when we encounter people who are taking these things and they're like, oh, this is going to impact me. Some medications can, but they're finding that NSAIDs are not one of those. So it's pretty cool when we're working with people. And if this is something that they're doing, supplementing things like ibuprofen for whatever reason, whatever the reason is, generally speaking, they can still get fitness results, which is nice. Yeah, really nice. And, uh, you know, I just to, just to be the old trainer here, I want to make sure to point out that, you know, this is why we get to know our clients ahead of time. We get to know some of the things, including their history and maybe in some cases, the, the medications they're taking, because there can, in fact, be some impact on, on the workouts themselves and how they feel during the workouts, and then maybe, in some cases, impact on the results that you get. Agreed. Get to know your people. I love it. All right, John, you ready for number two? Let's go. All right. So one observational study published in the Journal of Pediatrics found that children who watch too much television are more likely to develop what as adults? That's a really good question because I think it can be all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I think the easy answer is obesity or, or just simply being overweight. Yes, you're on the right track. Absolutely. And yes, that is a big part of it. So this observational study that I found from the University of Otago has dug deeper into the evidence that watching too much television, which I'll define in a second what they said was too much, as children can lead to poor health as adults. And this is kind of a no-brainer, right? The habits that we have as kids generally follow us into adulthood for the most part. 
But metabolic syndrome is something that they were saying is what most kids will develop or some kids will develop from watching too much TV, metabolic syndrome. And that's actually a group of conditions, including high blood pressure, high blood sugar, excess body fat, so there's your obesity, and high cholesterol that increases someone's chances of developing heart disease, diabetes, or having a stroke. So in this study, they looked at 879 participants and their television habits between the ages of five and 15. Um, What's super cool, they contrasted their respective health status at age 45. So those same 879 people, they brought back 30 years later and looked at their health status. They determined that the average child was watching an average of two hours of television a day, um, and many of them fell above that. So that was an average, right? The mean was two hours a day. While they did note that with an observational study, they cannot provide a direct causal relationship between television watching and poor health, but they do understand that higher screen time promotes higher energy intake, meaning you're eating more food, generally speaking, not healthy food, and less physical activity, which can lead to greater intake of higher sugar, high calorie, and high fat foods, and drive nutritional and activity habits that persist into adulthood. Super interesting. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, this is one of those where, you know, it's great to have studies done and, and scientific background to to tell us this information. But then there's also the the part like the, the real world part of us yeah. that says, yeah, if you're sitting around watching TV all day and eating snacks, it's not going to be great for your health, particularly when you're a young person, because that's, you know, that's that's kind of giving you the impression that 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 maybe is just how life is. And that's how to how to live a good, healthy life. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're not usually using logic to make all your decisions so (laughs) if you're watching an interesting show and you got some tasty snacks around then i can totally see why uh, a kid would stick with that Uh, unfortunately it just leads to that that metabolic syndrome that you were mentioning absolutely and this does support the world health organization's general recommendation for youth and kids and adolescents to minimize their daily screen time which we all walk around with phones in our pockets or in our hands for some people right tablets laptops we all have access to all of these things And minimizing screen time is going to be key. But I like to think about this, John, not that like we're not kids, right? Hopefully, I I doubt that most of our listeners are children, but we work with people who have kids, right? And adults or decision makers in the the household impact the, the kids a lot. So we can take this information, teach it to our clients, especially those who have kids. If you have kids, listeners, Um, You know, this is a great thing to take home and pay attention to, but a lot of it, what do you think about that? Like teaching our clients how to work with their kids, right? We may may not directly train someone's children, but what if we gave them tips and things that they can take home and help their kids? I think it's imperative that we help uh, adults to be able to do things like that because it's easy for us to say, you know, when I was young, I wasn't watching so much TV and I was out there uh, outside being active. Well, let's face it. When I was a kid, there was only three channels. (laughs) <laughs> there wasn't that much interesting stuff to watch, right? Now, yeah. I mean, with all the channels, all the streamers, all the games that you can access, there's there there really is a lot of interesting stuff you can do with the screen. So because of that, we have to now coach children toward better habits. Whereas I think when we were young, let's just face it, there wasn't like great television on all day, every day. We didn't have the ability to rewind. So we had to figure out something else to do with ourselves. And for me, a lot of it was playing sports and going outside. Right. And I think a lot of us who grew up that way in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the 90s, I would dare say the 90s, maybe. Um, like we had a different experience in childhood. You're absolutely correct. There is a lot more available to people. Um, things have become a lot more convenient, 
right? Food is easier to access, you know, you know, getting your clothes cleaned, uh, cleaning the house. Heck, you hire somebody else to do it. You don't do it, right? So we're minimizing, we're doing all these things that make life more convenient and everybody's guilty of it. It's just the modern world that we live in. Um, but I always laugh when I think about like antimicrobial stuff, right? There's, um, you know, antibacterial this, antibacterial that. Mind you, we're coming off of a pandemic. I get it. Right. But when, <laughs> when we talk about stuff like that and people are like, oh, I need some hand sanitizer. Right. I hear people all the time who are like, when I was a kid, I used to eat dirt and I'm fine. <laughs> right. It's just a different way that we grew up. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There's still ways to keep kids active, even though there is all this stuff available. And it's a lot of it is coaching the adults. I love that. And that kind of leads me into my third one that I have for you, John. We know that physical activity is critical for a healthy lifestyle. We've established that, right? However, one study out of the University of Houston found that what population is getting less physical activity than they should be? I'll give you a hint based on our last question. We're not talking about kids here. Well, you stole my answer. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the parents of the kids. Yes. Isn't that crazy? The answer is parents of multiple young children, right? So I saw this one. I thought it was super interesting. So as it stands, about one in three adults are actually meeting the general recommendation for physical activity each week, which is two days or more of strength training and 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity, like cardiovascular activity. And this study found that adults with multiple young children, so we're talking two or more children aged zero to five years of age, who prioritize the needs of their kids over their own, they engage in about 80 minutes less vigorous physical activity than those without children each week. And this study actually looked at a big swath of time, John, from 2007 to 2016, and it included more than 2,000 adults aged 22 to 65. Um, so they looked at a lot of different people. Um, super interesting, but it makes sense, right? Parents are always so, especially when they're that young, zero to five years old, they're not quite independent. So they absolutely need somebody around them all the time. What are your thoughts on this so far? Yeah, objectively, it absolutely makes sense because you you literally have something that's taking up a lot of your time and it's a high priority. So absolutely understandable. Now, as someone who has trained a lot of people that had multiple kids and, and multiple young kids, um, one thing that I, I remember from some of them was that being able to work with someone like a trainer and having appointments at the gym is what actually got them to take care of their physical fitness because they had those appointments or they were meeting with the trainer. Because when you do have a high anxiety life where you're dealing with several kids, it's easy to deprioritize your own self. And I've seen that in a lot of my clients in the past. So by, by making these appointments, maybe hiring a trainer, something like that, in that way, they were able to uh, prioritize themselves while also kind of adding the incentive that, you know, in the case of hiring a trainer, they're paying for a service that they want to take advantage of. Absolutely. And that's why it's nice to see that a lot of fitness facilities are offering things like childcare um, and making it a little bit more accessible, bigger, like bro more broad hours for people, things like that. Um, but I always tell people too, you're no good to anyone unless you're good to yourself. And that absolutely applies to parents, coaches, people that are taking care of other people, regardless of their age. Um, but the lead author, uh, Jericho Johnson of this study said that parents typically serve as the primary role models of healthy behaviors for their children. Finding ways to increase parents' physical activity could potentially influence the health trajectories of these young children, especially because uh, they're talking about parents with multiple kids. 
So this kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier. Parents, absolutely. Caretakers, absolutely have an impact on the kids. Like, right, kids do what they see the adults around them doing. And if the parents are active, the kids are more likely to be active, but prioritizing themselves as far as parents. Um, why not get the kids involved? Did you ever do any of that, John, when you were training? Did you ever have like parents come in and then do stuff with the kids, like bring the kids with you? Uh, so, so not exactly that, but uh, those instances where we would uh, kind of trade off where uh, potentially the parents would go work out and then I'd have the, the kids doing kind of this group training thing for a little bit. And then we'd switch where the kids go into kids club and then I take the parents to their workout. That's smart. That's very smart. I like that. Um, and I've done that before too with my youth groups for strength and conditioning. Um, I usually work with the kids, but you'd be surprised how many parents come up and are like, do you do an adult class? And I'm like, if enough of you are interested and I can, you know, it makes sense to rent the space that we're in, then yes, I will do it. And I've done it before. Absolutely. Um, and so then the, yeah, the kids just kind of hang out while their parents are exercising, but they're all there at the same time anyway. So really big opportunity. Um, it's kind of a niche that's kind of, uh, more and more being explored, but it's still wide open and there's lots of opportunities for, for people that are interested. Absolutely. And, and you know what, uh, to add one more thing, I see it almost every day at the gym that I go to. I happen to go to a gym that's very family friendly and has got great things for kids. Uh, so I see a lot of the same people, the moms and the dads and the kids coming in and out, in and out of there. Um, and this is, you know, to, to kind of speak toward what we were mentioning earlier, this kind of sets the stage and, and gives the impression to the kids that going to the gym is a cool thing and being active is it can be fun. Uh, so it's, it's really nice to see that a lot of uh, facilities out there are creating that family friendly environment. Yeah. You maybe just think of one thing, John. I can't remember being a kid. My parents didn't go to the gym. Like that wasn't a thing in the the 90s in Chicago or in Seattle where we lived or even in L.A. when we lived there. Um, I think the first time I ever walked into a gym, like a fitness facility was in college, the rec center in college. And I just it was fun. So I, I kept going. <laughs> what about you? Do you remember the first time you ever walked into a gym? Yeah, I used to go with my dad. Um, as a matter okay. of fact, he was uh, he was in the military, so I'd go with him to the gym. I wouldn't do any of the gym stuff. He would just let me go shoot hoops on the basketball court while he'd go and work with these like 1980s machines that I'm sure don't exist anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Hmm. Food for thought. If you're listening, think about the first time you ever went to a gym or saw your parents go to a gym or your caretakers go to a gym. Interesting. Huh. Just something to think about. <laughs> All right, John, that's all I got for you as far as the research. I got plenty more. I already told you before we hopped on today, I just got my new Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research in the mail on Monday, so three days ago, and it's still in the plastic. I can't wait to bust it open for our next episode. <laughs> After millions of years of evolution, humans have evolved to walk, move, and run barefoot. But modern, narrow, cushioned shoes have impacted foot function and are contributing to a movement-focused health crisis in the process. That's why Bebo Barefoot has designed footwear that is wide to provide natural stability, thin to enable you to feel more, and flexible to help you build your natural strength from the ground up. Studies show that foot strength increases by 60% in a matter of months just by walking around them. Feel ready to take your first steps towards a healthier, more natural lifestyle? Vivo Barefoot's online platform, Vivo Health, has courses, tools, and workshops that will help you achieve your human potential. Start your journey with Vivo Health's personalized foot assessment tool to see if Barefoot is right for you. Plus, we have a special offer for all ISSA members. Get 15% off your favorite Vivo Barefoot footwear using code ISSA15. You can also enjoy a huge 40 
40% discount on any one Vivo Barefoot educational course of your choice with code ISSA40. Visit VivoBarefoot.com backslash ISSA today and start the journey to better foot health. I'll be looking out for that. So now for a little bit of real talk, and uh, we're going to talk about the, the the topic of online personal training. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to give you a bunch of statistical information, and uh, we we'll, the references will be in the show notes. So if you want to check my work, it'll be there for you. But just some stats on online training, particularly from the last few years. So before the pandemic, just 39% of personal trainers reported that their business involved some aspect of online training. So again, before pandemic. Only 39% were using anything online related. By August of 2020, which was the the first year of the pandemic, that number had more than doubled to 83%. And and rightfully so. And rightfully so. It made a lot of sense, especially at the time. And I was still in the health club setting at that point. And we had to make some adjustments in order to try to keep uh, our business going and in order to try to keep our, uh, our members involved. So interestingly, when trainers were surveyed about how their business would operate after the pandemic, only 14% responded that they'd be working primarily in the gym. So a 75% drop off from previous levels. So I think a lot of people started working online and really saw a future with it, Uh, maybe got real comfortable with not having to commute and and put on their, their trainer uniform or whatever the case may be. But that was a very big drop off. Now with losses of 29.8% billion dollars. This is the the health club industry since the start of the pandemic. And this is just in the US alone. Health clubs and studios were forced to quickly adjust their business models to include online training components to accommodate the the really unpredictable and unforeseen restrictions at the time. And then last bit of statistical information here, when surveyed about the permanent changes to their business models post-COVID to improve their value proposition, the top club owner responses were in favor of offering a mobile application with pre-made videos and programs, creation of an online platform, and offering hybrid flexible subscription plans. So a lot of digital type of Mm -hmm. offerings. And when narrowing down a single action required to overcome the crisis, the most popular resolution was a staggering 72 responses. They, They wanted just digitalization of coaching in general. So that means that the, the market was looking for this, and the, the health club business was, was willing to deliver. So some really big changes over the couple of years in terms of online training, its, um, its importance, its popularity, and its prevalence among personal trainers. So I say all that to say that it is a really good thing to get into, a really good thing to learn about, and it's, it's probably here to stay in some way. But now I'm going to turn into the old guy trainer for a second. <laughs> If you wanted to coach a basketball team or a soccer team or any sport, and you've never coached a person in those sports in person ever, how do you think coaching basketball or soccer or anything like that online is going to go? My guess, this is not a scientific study, by the way, so there's no research on this one, but my guess is it's not going to go great. So in much the same way with personal training, If you've never really coached people in person, you're missing a lot of the nuance of the communication, a lot of the nuance of the coaching, a lot of the nuance of how to uh, correctly cue an exercise uh, because you're you're strictly doing it in an online 
two-dimensional platform. Now, there are some great online platforms out there. Don't get me wrong. And it can be done. This is not me saying that it can't be done. Mm -hmm. But again, hopefully my analogy works for you. If you've never coached someone how to dribble and shoot a basketball in person, you got to imagine that your ability to coach it online is, is not very good, or at least not as good as it should be if people are going to be paying for that service. So as a personal trainer, I don't want to discourage you from going into the online spaces. I'm telling you that you should, but I think you should also get some in-person experience as well. If you already have it, then great, good for you. Then you have a lot of that nuance. But if you if you don't, then some sort of hybrid version where you're doing some in-person and some online uh, is going to serve you well in the long run. Uh, because as good as your marketing might be uh, and uh, as, as tempting as your services might seem online, eventually you're going to have to be good at coaching and there's no uh, there's no way to get that uh, that skill and that talent underneath you that's better than actually doing it in person and now that 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 might be my opinion but i think that opinion is shared by a lot of people who've been in this business for a long time so jenny what do you think so i don't i i would agree with a lot of what you're saying i don't know that it makes like you can't do it as well if you've never done it in person but as somebody who does both, I currently work through the platform Trainerize and um, True Coach. Not promoting those; those are just the two that I prefer and I like. There's plenty of them out there. Check them out. Um, but when I work with my clients on, for example, Trainerize, the couple clients that I have on there, I don't have a ton, but I do have clients on there. I've I've worked with all of them in person, or it's a hybrid where I see them in person two days a week, and then they train on their own one day a week. So when I type in notes, I heavily utilize the notes section or with my athletes on True Coach. I note everything, like put your feet this way, turn, like keep your chest up. Like I'll put as many cues that I would naturally give them in person. I write them down because if you've trained with me in person, you've heard those same cues. So I hope that when you're reading it from Jenny, you'll be like, oh yeah, she always says that. Keep your chest up, right? Proud chest or, you know, turn your toes in, push your knees out, etc. So when I put that cue down, if you've trained with me in person, you'll be like, ah, hopefully that'll be enough to kick your butt and make you do it correctly. But if you've never trained with me in person, or I've never given you that cue in person where you know what it means, it gets really difficult to communicate. So I do agree with that, John. Um, I think online, it's a different skill set as far as coaching people. And it's a lot of these platforms do have videos and things. So you can either upload your own video, you can go to YouTube and put a link in, or they have their own libraries, which is great. But some of them, some of them do, some of them don't have any kind of cueing in it. And what happens if you open it up and you're watching the video, right? John, I give you an exercise, Trainerize, for example. Some of their videos, I listen to the guy talk through it and then watch his form doing it. And it's like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, it's like, ah, it hurts. I'm like, what is he doing? And so I'll either not use that video, I'll create my own, or I'll go onto YouTube and find one that I actually like the cueing and stuff that they're giving. Right. Which brings me to another topic real quick, John, as far as online training, we get client or students all the time asking us, should I make my own videos or should I just use a platform with the library in a perfect world? You guys, you would be the one person in front of your clients. So making your own videos is very, very valuable. Um, I the way that I look at it, um, if John's my client and I'm sending him videos from some guy that does strength and conditioning online on YouTube and I like his videos, so I'm sending John those videos. What's stopping John from being like, well, this guy's what, let me click on this link here and let me see what he's all about and Googling this person. And now John wants to work with that guy. Not saying it's going to happen, but what's stopping him from it? Because it's not me on the videos saying, John, do this. It's some dude from 
YouTube, <laughs> right? So like staying in front of your clients, there's value to that, right? And then they start to trust you even in a virtual environment. What are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. One of the great things about a lot of these online training platforms is that they can make the job easy. That's a great mm -hmm. selling point, right? We've got this exercise library for you. But keep in mind this, when, when people sign up with you as a trainer, they're oftentimes signing up with you. Yeah. Not necessarily your certifications, not necessarily your background. They're, they're, they're signing up with you. So the more you that's in there doing the coaching, I would say the better. Now, again, this might sound like an opinion. It, it mostly is. But again, I know uh, from over the years in person or online as a trainer that people really stick with the trainers that they that they like and that they have a connection with. And I do believe when they're getting a lot of content from you that is not you, then it could make people start to wonder, you know, maybe I should go somewhere else for my information or, or my training. So I, I, I totally agree with you, Jenny. Yeah. And uh, last thing I'll say about that too, on Trainerize, I do have quite a few videos that I've recorded myself, some of them out in my garage gym, some of them at a fitness facility, but some of them, John, like some certain body weight exercises I've recorded and just had my husband hold the phone and recorded them in my living room. The funny part is my dogs are usually milling around in the background and I have one exercise. It's like a high plank pushback. So you reach for your opposite toe to a push up. And I remember doing it uh, in front of my fireplace in the living room and my old dog, Sissy, we called her Phyllis. She was in the video and she's just milling around like a weirdo in the background. And every time I send this video to my clients, which we use it every now and again, or every time I see this video, it makes me laugh. Cause my dogs are just, I'm like, what are my dogs doing right now? <laughs> so it's kind of fun, right? Again, it's a way to build that trust and that, that rapport with someone you being in the videos. So I absolutely agree. Awesome. That's a good one, John. And it's very relevant, obviously, because most people are, are moving to a lot of people are moving to online training. And have you seen our Facebook surveys, John? Uh, I'm sure I have. So we, yeah, we've done a couple surveys of like, where do you plan on working? If you're newly certified, where do you plan on working as a fitness professional? And you're absolutely right. An overwhelming majority of our students here at ISSA say that they plan on working either for themselves um, or overwhelmingly remote, like online. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely a valid option. You can reach more people that way. And guess what, guys? There's over 8 billion people in this world now. And there's what, John? Like, Isn't it like several hundred thousand personal trainers in the world? It's not a terribly huge amount, but it's a decent amount of people. But if you do the math... We don't all need 5,000 clients, right? We all need 20, 30, maybe 100, depending on how you're doing it. And we can do just fine financially. <laughs> so we just got to reach a small portion of the world and we'll be good to go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, I do think uh, online training is a is a not just a valid way to approach the business, but I think it's a smart way uh, to approach the business. Agreed. Just make sure that we're not just focused on the business part of the job. A big part of the job is being a great coach as well. And that was more or less my point with making sure that you're getting some in-person experience is that it helps you to become a better coach. Love it. Yep. Be a good coach and always be working at it. I'm 14 years in, John, and I'm always, we were talking offline about how I'm watching stuff about personalities and youth brain development because I work a lot with kids. I always want to know more and how I can be more effective, right? With the people that I'm working. So don't ever stop learning, which is hopefully if you're listening to our podcast, that is what you are here for. Uh, so thank you guys so much for joining us. This was fun. Uh, John, any last words for our listeners today? Uh, well, hopefully you took away some, some great stuff from this. Hopefully this makes you want to have these conversations with other people and other trainers. And I look forward to the next time we do this. 
Me too, me too. So thank you guys for listening. As always, go out there into the world, do all the things, be fruitful and make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon. Yeah.